Welcome in to Chasing Interesting Season 3, Episode 2. Ryan Patrick Houlihan is my guest. We use his full name because he is a dear friend. He's actually my girlfriend's best friend. And Ryan works on Capitol Hill. He works for Dean Phillips' office, his home district back in Minnesota. He is a legislative assistant, meaning he actually writes policy. Ryan is one of the people who makes the laws by which all of us abide, or at least he tries to, as we'll talk about. There's only so much that he or even his representative can do. Uh, a member of a 535-person legislative body that is responsive to the Senate, which we will get into, and what uh, it's supposed to be 100 members, but one in particular who happens to be a giant pain in the side, uh, and also then the executive branch and the challenges of working in a congressional office when you have to respond to constituents, when you have to cooperate with your party, all these different things, what it's like to actually make laws in America. That is the primary reason I wanted to have my friend on today. Ryan's background is super interesting. Grew up, as I said, just outside of Minneapolis. Ryan is a gay man who went to Catholic school and had some interesting experiences there that helped shape him and shape how he thinks about policy, both from a truly functional angle, but also from a social angle. And that was actually his first foray into politics. It was personal to him. When he was in college, went to a small college in Minneapolis, first time outside of his majority white small town, obviously uh, majority white school, as you'd imagine, at a Catholic private school, all of a sudden is surrounded by a large Somali community, all of a sudden is surrounded by every kind of person you could imagine as the University of Minnesota is right next door in that particular part of Minneapolis. And he is at this liberal arts school, which attracts all different kinds of people. And he's exposed to a variety of people and cultures and customs and, and ways of seeing the world that were different for the first time in his life. But it was his own rights on the line that got him involved specifically in politics. He got behind the marriage amendment that ultimately passed in Minnesota, allowing for gay marriage. Then obviously, not long after that, it was the law of the land on the federal level as well. Ryan's passion, though, is climate. He is extremely knowledgeable, as you will hear, on all things climate science, climate change, and specifically climate policy. From the big types of things like what is being talked about at the global level at the Paris Climate Accords, or things in his own state that matter a lot to the people who live there and rely on people like Ryan, and obviously people like Representative Phillips, who he works for, to do right by them. And so this is a really cool inside look of what it's like to work in a congressional office to get things done. Ryan Houlihan, legislative assistant for Dean Phillips on Capitol Hill. We recorded this conversation last week, so there's a little bit about the election and, and Republicans not accepting the results, which are still true uh, as I sit here recording this on Wednesday, November 25th, but... Uh, there are some Republicans now that have come around, but still, it's it's a split party on a, I don't know, uh, it's it's a thing that you can't be split on because it's a reality that Joe Biden won, uh, but just wanted to, to put this conversation in the proper context in terms of time. We recorded it about a week ago. Happy to share it with you now when we start with the literal mechanics of what it's like to work in a congressional office. 
every team is sort of different the way that they plan because every office there's no like formula of how you're going to do it i would say your office has prior priorities so like you have three probably five like main priorities that you want to get done and they want to focus on especially um, for the congress especially if they're campaign promises that you've made so there's stuff that you want to focus on those are things that are going to require more effort so whoever has those within their portfolio for legis like legislative staff um, they're going to have to set aside time to um, make sure that that's getting done. That means that you have to kind of keep a balanced schedule, which means like not only you're um, keeping up with constituent requests, constituent meetings, meeting with stakeholders, which is one of the most important, important parts of the job is like you are the front facing staff. So like you need to meet, make people feel seen and you need to be communicating with them, but you also need to be responding to constituents doing correspondence with them, doing proactive outreach, looking for bills to co-sponsor, keeping track of votes, especially those votes within your area. You're going to be giving recommendations because um, there's just so much out there and there's no way that a member of Congress can right. be knowledgeable about every single subject, right. which is why their staff is there. Right. And that's kind of why I wanted to have yeah. you on, um, at least for this portion of it, was to try to like give people a better understanding of how this all works. Because yeah. the idea that even everyone's favorite congressman or woman can like do it all is just, you can't be an expert in all this stuff. No. Well, and that's what your staff is there for. People come up to me and they ask me all these questions. They're always like, I know this sounds stupid. I'm like, there's no stupid question because government is so confusing. Mm -hmm. You can graduate. I graduated with a political science degree. I've learned so much in the last four years that I've been on the Hill and there's no way I would have known what I've known unless I worked there and I've gotten the experience that I have. It is so confusing. What was like and the it, biggest thing that was like shocking to you when you got there and you see how the, the quote unquote, the sausage is made. I just how confusing complex stuff is like the way that we fund like the government that we go through the appropriations process, how complicated it is and how the process is really is just like you're, debating and voting on amendments all night and like the process is so long and so complicated and convoluted there's no way that you can learn that unless you're doing the process and there's no way that i think unless you're a political scientist researcher on the hill or you have experience that you can really understand what's going on i'm sure you've spent some time thinking about this like yeah. is there a way it could be simpler and like more to make government more accessible to people i think that there is the thing is, I ha I don't know what that answer is, you know, like yeah. I know the appropriations process to a T, but I also like that's a larger question. I think that is something that we should look at. And like there is a committee in Congress called the Moder Modernization of Congress. And okay. they're looking at that. And I think that's an important thing because, I mean, we have all these committees. Nobody knows what they do. Like nobody knows what appropriations is. Nobody knows what energy and commerce is. Nobody knows what ways and means does. Well, and also as things evolve there's like a global economy now yep. that, that is more intersectional and these these tech companies yeah. have their toes in 17 different things it's like the the committees that were created in 1770 or frankly 1970 like yeah. it's harder to define where some of these companies and where some of these things that need to be regulated and updated etc fit in yeah so it seems to make sense that we'd modernize. I'm glad to hear that that's happening. That's actually something I didn't know. Well, and that's something that I feel like I, if I, if I believe right, it was created last Congress and it's okay. something that a lot of these new freshmen that got into the last class have really been pushing. I'm mm. um, in the 116th that new, I think it was like, I can't remember how many it was in the fifties or the sixties new yeah. freshmen that came in, Yeah, there's a um, came in with like all these fresh ideas and it's, I mean, they were new to the system too. 
Yeah. And so they, it was a big learning curve. And for a lot of them, they were like, they weren't happy with the way that it went and they're looking yeah. for new ways. So it's supposed to be a government of the people by the people. And so making it so that people can understand seems like a good idea. Yeah. That's just, that's yes. just me. But also these, like when you're operating, machinery. it's more than just people need to pay attention in civics class. <laughs> right. Although there are some people that, yeah, really but that as well <laughs> used to pay attention in civics class. Um, so I would love to, to spend the rest of the pod talking kind of on uh, the two different sides of the same coin. What this election that just happened and to an extent still is ongoing uh, with what's happening in Georgia means both for you personally and you professionally. So I actually want to start with the personal part and for, forget which side you agree with for a second. Everybody agrees that these are like the two most diametrically opposed candidates that we have ever had. They mm. literally agree on nothing, in part because part of the outgoing president's platform is disagree with whatever the other guy's doing. Yes. Right? Like that was the strategy. Yeah. So as you watch that and have an understanding of what that means and what that can mean, frankly, for you, as you said, as a gay man and like yeah. some of the things that could that could happen and the things that you fought for um, in that in that avenue the social avenue but also some of the climate things that you work have dedicated your life yeah. to like what are you thinking as this campaign is unfolding and, and what is the feeling when it's announced that joe biden wins i mean i was extremely anxious after 2016 i think everybody was scarred i was yeah. working on a congressional campaign at the time and i moved out here i hit four years literally i think like a week ago i moved out here the weekend after the 2016 election so it feels like i've just been here for this entire trump yeah craziness so after four it's years of this, how and, much DC changed by the way. Like I got yeah. here in 2015 and used to drive past the White House and be like, man, that's so cool. That's yeah. where Obama lives. Now yeah. you're like, <sighs> I know. Well, it just felt like it was like I got here and it was like depression into like the end of the Obama days into Trump. And then it's just been like four years of pushing back. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, watching the campaign unfold, it was interesting because I was worried at first because. I mean, I was working on a campaign at the time in 16 and I was just so like in on it and like door knocking and like was like way in it for Hillary and felt so much excitement. And I did not feel excitement this time for obvious reasons. I wasn't working on a campaign actively. I coronavirus had everybody in their houses. So like we we're phone banking. But I mean, you couldn't yeah. tell how much work you were doing. And like, I think I got mo more voicemails than I talked to people. Right. Obviously. Um so it felt interesting. It was like an interesting dynamic or like situation. Um, but I would say the closer we got, the more confident I was um, just because of the turnout that we saw in 18 and the incredible amount of mail-in ballots that were already like being counted in all these swing states. I was very confident I'm very confident. I was confident that Biden was going to win. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I was like, you can't be confident right. because of everything that happened in 16. Right. That was um, the weirdest thing because the polling was like, if you paid attention to the polling, it's like, bam, we could win this in a runaway. And then yeah. obviously we saw that that was a bad place to look to be confident because the yeah. polling in these swing states was god awful. I, I never looked at the polling because I that's what I relied on in 16. And I was like, I, I just I didn't trust it. I, so I still did. And that was a <laughs> horrendous mistake. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so I, there's just so much writing on this election and the presidency and our future that I, I mean, I think everybody was just holding their breath and waiting for it to, and like 
the mood I feel like on election night, I mean, everybody like we knew that the red mirage was going to happen and that right. all these mail in ballots were being held in all these states that had Republican state legislatures that were doing this on purpose just to right. cast out on the on the vote. And so, I mean, that was incredibly nerve wracking. And it's just there's so much writing on our future right now for that, especially dealing with climate. I think about that a lot and like the work that we have to do and all the work that we have to undo that the Trump administration undid that issue, especially because there's like certain issues like I am passionate about healthcare and I think that we need reform and we need to look at the way that we're doing it in our country right now. But that's an issue that can continue to be pushed. Like it's terrible and it's unethical and like people will definitely die, but there there's time there. Whereas in like the climate crisis, we're losing time. Right. We need to be acting on that like right of way when um, the transition happens, when Biden takes over. Because, I mean, when we rise two degrees, there's no one doing that. Yeah. What are some things that maybe have happened in the last four years in that area that, and I know there's obviously like the the headline catchy, like Biden's going to rejoin Paris immediately. Yeah. But I think I don't even think a lot of people understand what that means. Um, but like, what are some things that the Trump administration has done that are concerning that can be undone that maybe have flown under the radar that are on your radar because this is yeah. your, your area of expertise? Yeah. I mean, there's so much that has to do with like the Clean Air, Clean Water Act and different leases that he's approved at the EPA. One of the biggest issues um, in the state of Minnesota is the uh, boundary waters in northern Minnesota. Basically, the Obama administration had protected the land um, back in 2016, right before Trump went into office. It was mm -hmm. part of like that same public land protection that he did with Bears Ears. And it was to protect it from copper nickel mining up in northern Minnesota um, at the boundary waters. And the Trump administration basically right away rescinded Obama's action and then um, worked to renew leases um, to start mining up there in the Boundary Waters. And that is like a huge issue up there. And it was very important because Trump would have continued that if he kept going forward. And it's something that like in the future now, we have more hope with the Biden administration, especially with the actions the Obama administration took that they're going to protect that land because we cannot afford to have toxic pollution up in the most visited wilderness in the United States. There you go. Uh, and it seems like the Biden administration will probably have that on their list because they're literally yep. just going to take every climate thing that Trump did and like control Z, control Z, yep. control Z. Exactly. And they have a great climate plan that they worked with. Like they had a climate task force that I believe AOC was on and they mm -hmm. talked with the Sunrise Movement about. Yeah. Um, it's very great. And that's one of the things I think the Biden campaign did that was like so smart was they brought in people who were their harshest critics. Yeah. Totally um, their harshest critics and they were like okay like come join our campaign um, and help us form policy and help us like lead these discussions and they got their harshest critics to be on their side and help unify the party yeah which I think is one of the smartest moves that they've that they did which is true to Joe Biden like that yeah. was the one thing that I think was most impressive to me about Biden who was certainly not my top choice in the primary yeah but mine like, either <laughs> but like he his whole career has been great at that and, yeah and finding the like he is a centrist Democrat in that, like, he always seems to find the center of the Democratic Party. Yeah. And he's really good at bringing in people from both sides. And, yeah, you know, we'll see how, how that does as president, I yeah. guess. <laughs> um, last question. Okay. This is, a, this is a big one. But how different is your job if the Democrats win two seats in Georgia versus if they don't? 
like you sit down to write legislation that can pass the house and and have any chance in the senate yeah how different is that legislation if mitch mcconnell's the majority leader versus chuck schumer or other it is huge Georgia is very important. We're going to need that for sure to get anything done, especially like the amount that we need that we have to get done regarding climate. But if we want to pass a public option or health care um, reform like the Biden plan, if Mitch McConnell is the leader, these bills are going to be like stripped down and it's not going to be to the degree that uh, we need, especially when you get into like special interests, when you're talking about climate and Mitch McConnell. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a strong history that but, it will not accomplish the things. Exactly. But accomplish. we've seen Mitch McConnell over the last, like how many years now he has not done anything. How many of our bills, especially since 2018 are sitting in the Mitch McConnell graveyard right now. Right. Um, he, he shows that he doesn't want to act on it. I mean, we've seen it right now with the COVID relief. It's needed. A lot of states are shutting down again. State and local governments, hospitals, providers, are, and small businesses are asking for relief. And he still hasn't taken up any proposition right now. Like the House has passed two bills to do this um, uh, one in May and then one in September. And he has not even taken it up for consideration, hasn't taken up to amend it, hasn't shown that he's doing anything to work on it, whereas House Democrats have been working on it. Uh, this entire time so it just kind of gets me that like not even that pressure from your constituencies can like get him to act so it's extremely important both yeah. of those seats <laughs> yeah and gotta go two for two so hopefully, exactly uh, and if we do do yeah. that we got to make sure that we're i think the most important things first i think climate action is so important just because mm-hmm. of their urgency but i think like the first thing that we need to do is um work on issues that are going to secure our democracy and secure the vote I agree. Yeah. Because that's what they're fighting for. That's why Trump and the Trump Republicans right now are not conceding the election. They want to keep towing this line so they can turn people out to vote in Georgia, which I think they realize how important that is for them. They want to keep the Senate, which is the reason why we need to go and do that. We need to do D.C. and Puerto Rico state uh, statehood. Yeah, and Puerto Rico just voted in favor of that. So exactly, DC has been in favor forever. So exactly, we need to do automatic voter registration. We need to do uh, uh, mail-in balloting. We need to make democracy and voting accessible to everybody. Ryan Patrick Houlihan, the full name. One more time. Appreciate my friend Ryan coming on. Hope that was informative. You know, these conversations. The whole premise of this podcast was to learn more and. That was a conversation that I learned from. The mechanics of actually getting things done in a democracy, I knew were complicated, but even within your own office, you're always having these types of conversations. If you're a legislator and your job is to represent thousands and thousands or maybe even millions of people, depending on the office. So appreciate Ryan sharing that and some of the specifics on climate as well. Be back soon with another episode of Chasing Interesting. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or following on Spotify. My name is Craig Hoffman. Follow me on Twitter at Craig Hoffman, on Instagram at Craig underscore Hoffman. And I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Chasing Interesting.